Welcome, everybody, to the Steve Jordan Experience. Thanks for being here with me today. And if this is your first time, thank you for checking this out. I appreciate it. And if you haven't yet, please rate the podcast, please review. It makes a big difference in helping others find the podcast in the vast library of podcasts out there today. And it just helps me to know whether I am doing a good job and the guests that I'm bringing on have been valuable or perhaps invaluable. But we've had a lot of five-star ratings, so I'm very excited about that. And those who did review, thank you for spending that time. Uh, Without further ado, I'd love to introduce our guest today. Uh, His name is Chris Farrell. He's a senior economics contributor at Minnesota Public Radio and Marketplace, American Public Media's nationally syndicated public radio business and economic programs. Hmm, I know what you're thinking. Why are we having somebody on a health and fitness podcast who's related and has a vast and broad background in money and economics? I'm going to tell you. The reason why is because if you've been on the show before, you've heard me say probably time and time again, how we manage our money is also how we can manage our health and vice versa. Um, There's a lot of implications in and around money and there's stress, emotional, there's stress. There's so many things in and around money that can have a negative or positive impact on your health and your relationship to yourself. So I wanted to have Chris on the show to discuss money, the ideas of money, the relationships of money, internal, external motivations in and around it, some economics in and around business. Um, And Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk to you about this because I'm going to have to be completely open and honest, which I am in this podcast. So that's what makes this tick is I have a bad relationship with money. Um, And what do I mean by that? I've made a lot. I've lost a lot. I've made a lot. I've lost a lot. I kind of yo-yo, almost like that person that is on the diet that they gain and lose, gain and lose. I typically like to tell my clients when they lose money or, or lose weight, you know, just you're gonna you're gonna gain some back, right? It's not like a yeah. matter of like never. It's like an up and ebb and flow. But you want to get to a point where, like, let's say minus, like, if you gain two pounds, that's your like set point. Like, you never want to go above that. If you do, you got to recalibrate and get your butt in gear and do the things you know to keep you where you're at. I have a challenging time doing that with money. I get to a certain point. I'm like feeling good. I get there. I hit my goal. Like I set that, you know, intention. And then my foot comes off the pedal. Like I start to ease up a little bit. I get a little relaxed because I'm secure. I'm safe. I'm comfortable. And then the money, the, the savings and the spend, the spending stays the same, but the savings or the income goes down and it goes down. And now you're like, whoa, this is uncomfortable. And then you got to like scurry to wait, you know, get back up again. And sometimes I like that because it motivates me, but I don't want to do that anymore. And I know that there's a lot of people that probably have a similar story. So maybe we could start there. How do we, uh, how do we, how do we tackle that? So I think we make money too complicated. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, you want to be saving for your retirement. You want to be having uh, some sort of emergency savings. If you have children, you want to be saving for their college education. Of course, most many people want to own a home and, you know, you need life insurance, particularly if you have kids and you can, your financial world can become really complicated. Mm. So you want to take a step back. And I think that there are three concepts that you want to keep in mind that to a large extent address exactly what you're talking about with the ups and downs. Um, So the first is the most important concept in personal finance is to have a margin of safety. 
Mm. You know, if you think about uncertainty, you can't get rid of uncertainty. I mean, do you really know what you're going to be doing a year from now, let alone 10 years from now? I mean, a year from now, you might have a reasonably good idea. But 10 years from now, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to the business cycle? Your business could boom, your business could shrink. There's all kinds that you could decide, I want to do something different. So you can't get rid of the uncertainty. And the uncertainty is just inherent in being alive. Mm. And so therefore, the most important concept is to have a margin of safety. Hmm. So, and we can go into more detail about what, what that actually means, but it's kind of self-explanatory there. The second thing is personal finance is nothing more than a handful of good habits. And all you're doing now, if you think about your work and what you're doing and working with people about wellness and health, and how often does the term habit come up about that you want to be turning this stuff into a habit, something that you it's, don't really think about. It's just part of what you do. It's personal the golden rule. It's the golden rule. Personal finance is no different. It's really a series of habits. And they're just things that you don't even need to revisit. You, you, I mean, most of your listeners are not Wall Street traders. Their idea of a good time is not to sit down with a company's prospectus or to you know go on go online and look at a company's prospectus. That's not their idea of a good time. And so you don't want to treat personal finance that way. You just want to treat it as a handful of good habits. Mm -hmm. And the final concept that I think is absolutely key is the concept of frugality, of thrift. And you know, frugality and thrift have this aura of being a penny pincher. You're cheap. You're just, you don't spend money. You're the person that when you go out to dinner, you're not the one that reaches for your wallet, right? That's mm -hmm. our image of someone who's thrifty, who's frugal. Thrift and frugality is the exact opposite. It's about putting a value on experiences. Mm -hmm. It's about putting a value on creativity. It's about recognizing and appreciating the arts. And so it's, it's a lot less about materialism, about owning things, about accumulating things. And if people come over to your house, you're the person that cooks extra food. So everyone goes home. So they have lunch tomorrow, not because they didn't like your meal, but you actually cooked a little bit extra because that's a nice gesture to make. That's being frugal. That is a frugal gesture. And frugality is really being supported by the desire by so many people to be green these days. Mm -hmm. And you think about in your own life, I mean, green is a huge concept, being sustainability is a huge concept, a lot of it has to do with public policy. But if you think about it in your own life, you know, being frugal is green and being green is frugal. I like that a lot. Where before we, I'm going to go into these habits because like the habits that you talked about there, you said there is a handful of habits, but you said you got to keep it simple, right? So right. I like to say like three to thrive when I'm training somebody, like I give them three cues and those are what I would consider my three to thrive. Cause if you give any more, like people are like, what, what do I got to do? And their mind gets too discombobulated. What would you say are the three top habits that you need to have to maintain that to maintain stability or have a, a safety margin, as you said. So the first one is you need to save mm. and forget about how much it is. Maybe it's $5, maybe it's $10, maybe it's $100, depending on what your income is. But even when your income is really low and volatile and unstable, say you're doing gig economy type work or you're an independent contractor and you don't know when exactly you're going to get paid. 
whenever you get that paycheck coming in, whenever you get that income coming in, you save a portion of it. And not only that, you make your savings automatic. Mm -hmm. So these days, it's really easy. You can go online to your credit union or your bank, whatever the financial institution you use. And you say at the 15th every month, I want $10 taken out of my account, checking account, and put into my savings account. Boom. You created a habit right there. Mm -hmm. And you're using the technology to help you out. Now, you'll raise these numbers, you raise these figures as you figure out what you can do. But the really important thing is to uh, develop that habit and automate that habit, mm. right? So what is a habit? A habit is automatic. It's something that you just do. Well, mm. technology can help you do that. And it's again, as I say, it's so important not to get intimidated, but I, I can only say $25. I mean, I can only do, you know, if I do any more than that, you know, I'm running the risk that a check might bounce. So do 20, right? Mm -hmm. No, I don't want your check to bounce. That's expensive, but do 20. Then as your circumstances change, you can adjust it. But that's the single most important habit that you can do. Mm -hmm. um, the second habit is to actually really think about the total cost of something. And this gets to your credit card debt. This gets to using uh, credit in order to buy things. And you've seen the ads, you know, you can buy this car, it's uh, $203 a month. Well, mm. no, what's the total cost of actually owning that car? In if you actually were gonna buy it in all cash, what's that cost? So the reason why I talk about total cost is I think that moves you away from this credit economy. We're using credit to live above your means. Mm -hmm. Some of that's fine. And some of it's smart. You're taking a vacation. You're going on a trip. You're booking a hotel. You're booking a rental car. Well, use your credit card because there's safety valves there if something goes awry on your trip, right? But in your normal everyday life, think about the total cost of credit. Think about being wary of your credit and um, uh, and just, just be careful there. And then the third one, have a goal. Have mm -hmm. a plan. I was talking to this um, woman she had, uh, down in Memphis, and um, she had very little income, and she had a goal, and it was to own a home. So she put a picture of a home on her refrigerator. And every time she went to the refrigerator, that's what she saw. And so she had joined a savings program to help her save, to buy her own home, which she eventually succeeded in doing. Or maybe your goal is uh, to have a car that doesn't break down all the time or whatever, or maybe it's to start your own business. And so many people are becoming self-employed these days. What is your goal? What is your vision? You know, no one really gets up in the morning and says, hey, you know what? I want to save some money. That's the, that's the way you do, right? You get up and you say, you know, I want, what I really like to do is have my own business. I really want to do that. And I think I got an idea here. Okay, now you have a goal. Now you have a vision. And it may take you, you may want it to take six months to get there. Maybe it takes you two years. But the fact is, you then know why you are managing the money the way you're managing it. It helps you toward those goals. So it's, save out of every paycheck you get, whether that's a regular paycheck coming from an employer or that's uh, you know for payment for services if you're an independent contractor. You just save something from that. Secondly, be very wary of credit. You know, it's easy to say, hard to do, but be very, very wary of credit. And the third is have a vision, have a goal, have a plan, and then you revisit that plan. That plan may work for three or four years, and then it's time to make a shift. Revisit the plan. You should revisit the plan. But we all need that sense of where, where I'm moving forward. I have, I'm, I'm actually accomplishing something. And 
I'm going to I know you said three. Can I give, can I do four? I would go for four. Okay. So here's four. Enlist your friends, enlist your network, enlist the people you know, the people that you trust, tell them what you're trying to do. You know, and you don't want, you're not going to open your bank account to them. You're not going to have them monitor what you're doing. These, this is a, these, these are your friends. This is a relationship, but they love you and they care about you. And so every once in a while, they're going to say, Hey, you know, I know I'm being annoying, but how are you doing on the savings? How are you doing on, you know, this goal that you're trying to work for? And then you do the, but here's the thing. It's mutual. You do the exact same thing for them. And so perhaps it's getting together and you all want to pay off your cars. All right. Okay. So how do you do that? Well, you come up with different ideas, how different people are doing it, and then you can meet to get together. How are you doing? So I think it's really important that when we think about personal finance, we always think about in terms of the individual, you know, oh, I'm not saving enough. Oh, I'm not getting a good habit here. What can I do? Well, you're not an I. You know, you're part of a we, you're part of a community, you're part of a society, you're part of a network, you have your friends, you have your colleagues, you have people you trust. And so put yourself within your community and be open with them and enlist their help and their guidance. And by the way, they'll have really good ideas because they're probably have gone through what you're going through or uh, may be thinking along the same lines. Hmm. So that's four, not three. That, there was a great one, and I, I couldn't agree more with all these. They do sound like a fitness call. You know, it's uh, it's really about the, the the similar things. Everything that's I'm a big believer in how you do one thing is how you do everything, and that's why I've always used money because people have a very tangible, strong relationship with money, uh, unlike almost anything else. But people tend to have a not so strong or a, a, you know kind of a um, they don't have the same kind of respect for their health until something seriously happens, right? They right. kind of take it for granted, right? So, and then, and, and, and you shouldn't because something can happen like that. I mean, you can go out in your car, go to the supermarket on an afternoon and get hit by a car, you know, get, get into a car accident and you break your leg or you, you know, do some kind of damage. And now you have to rehab yourself and, or you're in another situation, whatever it is. So I think that it's really important to understand that. Um, and what about the stress that money creates? Uh, actually, before that, I want to go back. Let me, let me, I, I thought about this and I lost my train of thought. You had talked about bringing in friends and network, like kind of creating a, um, you know, a, a community. Why is it so unethical? I guess is the word. Why is it, um, taboo to share your finances with others? Where did that come from, and why is that like? Why is it like that? It's like it just seems, and, and I'm like that too. I tend to be maybe a little more open, where I'm like, hey, yeah, you know, whatever. And I'm a little more open, and my wife would be like, you shouldn't have told that person that. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really understand why, but like, there's this taboo around money and sharing money and how much you have or how much you don't have or where you're at. Why is that? Well. I think there are a number of reasons, but one is the fear that you're creating barriers. So let's say you're well off and some of your mm -hmm. friends are not. And you start talking about all the things you can do with your money and what you're making and what you're doing, and it can become an awkward situation. And I think there's uh, a sense of, I don't want to create this uh, barrier between me and some of the people I know. Now, you and you may not even really even know their circumstances, but you're just a little bit wary about it. There's also the sense of failure, right? Which is, you know, we all make money mistakes. This is one of the things everybody makes money mistakes. Mm. Uh, I have never, I've only known one person 
that actually never ran up credit card debt. All right. <laughs> Everybody else I know um, ran up credit card debt at some point in their lives, including just, yourself. Every, absolutely. Everybody yeah. does it at some mm -hmm. point. I mean, and by the way, most of the times when people run up credit card debt, it's not because they can't resist going to the mall. They just can't resist having, uh, you know, the, the, the latest high tech gear. You know, the, the issue is they lose their job. They have some medical issues. They have a child that needs um, some, you know, they're, they're dealing with a difficult situation. I mean, usually what people run into credit card debt is not because it's the mall, it's the shopping. It's because life is hard and life gives you curves. And you're talking about having an accident in, uh, in a parking lot, right? Well, the odds are that person's had an accident in the parking lot is going to have credit card debt. Now, is that because they had some sort of failure in their uh, character? No. I mean, the reality is they're probably not making that much money, depending on what their job is. They're probably not making the same money that they were before because they've been injured, they've been hurt. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, you tied yourself over. So, just the credit card debt happens often for good reasons, not for bad reasons. But I think it's about, you know, it's about barriers. It's about status. It's about, even though we live supposedly in classless societies, we're very aware that we do live in class societies. And so there's a certain hesitancy. And plus, you many people work in organizations and organizations deeply discourage people sharing a lot of this income also. Mm. And so we get kind of shaped by that, which by the way, that's mm. breaking down and it should break down. Uh, people should share what they're making within organizations. I think it actually, that's how we find out that some people are being systematically underpaid. Um, so there's actually good reasons to be sharing your, your income. But I would also say that for many people, you can have money conversations. Uh, you don't have to have detail what you make, but you know, and they could probably make a reasonable judgment. But you could say, you know what, I've got enough savings that I could start another business. And I'm thinking, you don't, you're not giving them the dollars and cents, but you know, but if I put this into this business and here are the risks and here are the potential rewards, you know, or I could just you know, keep it here for now because I'm not sure what's going to be happening to the economy. You can have a very sensible conversation without anybody actually knowing the dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. So I actually think people can have real conversations about money. And if they're uncomfortable with saying, well, I make X, you know, $50,000 a year, I make $100,000 a year, uh, I make $20,000 a year. If they're uncomfortable giving the actual sum, they can still present what's the circumstance that they're facing. They can still say, you know, I got too much credit card debt and my credit card debt, you know, at this point, you know, it's reached, if you're looking at what I'm paying for rent and what I'm paying for credit card debt, half my income every month is going toward those two things, plus utilities. Um, and this is not sustainable. Then you can start working through. You can have that conversation. And the fact of the matter is, why not tell them? Right. Being open, vulnerable, it might give you some motivation to snap yourself in gear. Uh, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to just build, if it's okay, I wanted to build off something you said about being tangible. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you're having trouble, you know, you just, you're using the credit card too much. You're using Venmo too much, whatever it is that, 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 that you're doing, you know, there's all kinds of research and just play a little game with yourself. It's much harder to spend cash money than it is to use a credit card. Now, that makes no sense. 
right? I mean, $50 in cash and $50 in your credit card, same thing. But when you're actually doing the physical act of taking credit cards and uh, taking physical act, taking cash and handing it to somebody, it registers in your brain that I'm spending $50. Whereas with the credit card, it doesn't register the same way. So for anyone who wants, who's trying to sort of cut down on their spending, trying to limit their spending, wants to be a little more conscious of what they're spending, wants to kind of get a sense of what it is they're doing, for a while, just shift to a cash economy as much as you can. I mean, you can't do it for your rent, for example, but you can do it for all kinds of things. And it what it will do is it, it will really reinforce how much you're actually spending just by using cash as opposed to some sort of electronic or digital form of payment. Yeah, I, I agree. I've, I've done that before and I've had, uh, there's a time. Mm, so I'm going to give you a little history. So 14 years ago, I opened up my fitness studio in LA. It was my dream come true. Um, I was in a very cash positive space and had great clients but then 2008, nine, the economy crashed. And even though the kind of clients I work with were billionaires and multimillionaires and many very well-to-do people, I moved into I moved to my fitness studio in a location that wasn't that easy to get to. There was some construction going on in that LA area. Um, people were used to me going to their homes. So even 10, 15 minutes of a commute one way was too much for them. So long story short, I lost business. People stopped coming, although they liked me. And I found myself in a really sticky situation where at the height of my career, I went to the lowest point. Within six months, I had very little cash reserve. I almost went bankrupt. Met with a bankruptcy attorney. Like he's like, Well, you're not there yet. You know, you got a couple months like to keep, you know, trying at this. For some reason, it kind of just stuck in my head there. Like I'm like, failure's not an option. Don't quit. You're not a quitter. You can do this. You still got time. I ended up going from the height of my career, charging premium price to nearly giving away sessions to people that just try and get energy into my fitness studio um, to have people come in so that I had this reciprocation of feeling purposeful, the feeling work. I remember being so stressed that in the middle of my day, I put myself to sleep. I didn't drink or or resort to doing drugs or try and, you know, meditate or doing, I didn't really meditate at that time. But I, I, I mean, I guess a form of meditation would have been like taking a nap because I was so stressed. I had collectors coming, my car got repossessed. Like I was just in a really tough situation and there was no one to help. Like literally my parents, when I asked them, you know, like told them what situation my dad's like, well, maybe your dream's over. You need to come home, you know, back to New Jersey. And, you know, not that he wanted to see me fail. He would have liked me to come home. But the point is like, they weren't like, we're gonna we're we're gonna throw you a life vest and uh, you know or life raft. Here's a couple thousand bucks, or whatever. But I did have one client that believed in me, and um, he loaned me ten thousand dollars. There was interest on it, um, but he gave me ten thousand dollars, and it helped me kind of get a little bit of edge. And I started to build that momentum by giving things away, and then slowly I went back up to a little like uh, a certain rate that you know was a little higher than free and then a little bit higher and a little bit higher and till a point where you know 15 years 14 years later now I'm at the highest of my earning rate and 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 charge rate but it was a really humbling experience to have to go there from the top to the bottom and then slowly work my way up and give things away when I was like give it away like 
I own this place. Like, this is crazy. I'm the top of my game. I'm Steve Jordan. Do you know who I am? I've worked with this person and that person. I've been in this magazine on this show and da, 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 da. That didn't matter. It meant shit. But what mattered really, and then I got back to really why I did what I did. I was looking at you, let's say you hypothetically, coming to me, Chris, as a client where you're like, yeah, I'm interested, da, da, da. In my mind, my initial thoughts were like, a paycheck, money coming in, I can pay my bills. Instead, I went to a place of, I can serve you. I'm passionate about what I do. I want to help you. And that's what I had a shift in my mindset. I had to go back to that passion and purpose, why I got into this business of health and fitness to help and serve people, to let them have live an extraordinary, healthy, fit life, you know, and be able to live their best life. That's, I had to train myself and I had incantations every day, like words of, uh, of acclamations where I would say, today, I'm going to be positive today. I'm going to, or what was my, what was my affirmation? It was, uh, um, I'm the possibility of love, passion, and abundance. And the act that I'm giving up is looking good. Looking good was like, Hey, look at me. I'm Steve Jordan. You know who I am, you know? And it was about purpose of giving back what I really wanted to do. And it really helped. And it does always, when I lose that track, getting like side, sidelined by the, you know, the making money and, and doing all these things or having this accolade or that, or this, like I tend to lose that focus and um, just getting back to my purpose was, and is a big reason and, uh, you know, helps me to continue my success. Well, the thing is when thinking about managing money, personal finance, household finances, purpose is not a luxury. I mean, it's not a luxury in, in, in life. And a lot of times we treat it like that, or people think about it, that purpose is, is a luxury. But really, it's why do you get up in the morning? Why do you put your feet on the ground? And what is it that you look forward to? And purpose is not about being happy. And because we all have up and downs and, you know, things happen in life, but purpose is about meaning. And I think you'd never want to lose that sense when you're thinking about money. You never want to lose that sense of purpose. And why am I doing this? And how does this resonate with me? And again, because a lot of what personal finance is and a lot of what health is, it's about what reinforces you to do the things that you actually really want to be doing. Mm -hmm. It's not about understanding how a Roth IRA works and what's the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA and whether or not um, you should have whole life insurance or you should have term life insurance. I mean, those are when you're actually in the market, they can be important things, but that's not really what personal finance is about. So it's about purpose. It's about meaning. And then personal finance is just how do you support those goals, that meaning, that purpose. That's all personal finance is about. And that's why personal finance can become a habit because that habit allows you to get up in the morning and live your purpose. That's a good life. And that's how mo what money is there. Money is there to support you to be doing the things that you really want to be doing. And so I think in thinking about money, you know, toward the top of your list is you want to really be thinking about purpose. And uh, there's a wonderful book. It's from the mid-1970s by a former uh, legendary broadcaster, Studs Terkel. And the book is called Working. And what Terkel did, and there were interviews that were done over beer, different bars. <laughs> and 
he didn't interview anybody famous. He just interviewed, and it was a different era, but the elevator operator man and the secretary and the railroad uh, engineer. He read all kinds of um, everyday life. And it's a very thick book. It's like this, and it's wonderful. But in the introduction, he says the theme that emerged from all these conversations was it's important to have your daily bread. But everybody that he talked to wanted respect. They wanted a sense of belonging. They didn't use the word purpose, but that's what they wanted was a sense of purpose, a sense of recognition. And so it doesn't matter what it is you're doing. It's fundamental to the human condition. And so when you're thinking about purpose, that is not separate from your money. When you're thinking about purpose, that's really, okay, so here's my purpose. Now, how does my money then support it? As opposed to, here's this money, and there's some arbitrary that says I need to make X amount. Oh, and then I'm going to think about my purpose. It doesn't work that way. Then you're always in trouble. Right. You're always behind. And habits become hard to do. So if you are thinking about your purpose, and then that reinforces why you have the habits that you do. Awesome. It's great. How did you get involved in in uh, being a an educator, an influencer in in the round money and economics? You know, much much of my career has revolved around uh, is is in journalism, mm-hmm. and there's sort of two strands uh, to my career. One is um, personal finance, and that's kind of the practical side. You know, that's the sort of as you mentioned, service. That's to try and be helpful, and the other is economics, which I just love economics and uh, talking to economists and studying the economy, and and the two reinforce each other because so much of um, what's available in the personal finance world has been shaped by economic thinking and economic theory, but it's always been as a journalist and talking to people and. We've lived through an era the past uh, since I got into journalism um, where people are more responsible in institutions or less. You know, people don't go to work anymore. And then when they retire, have a pension, they go to work. And if they're lucky, they'll have a 401k or a 403b at work. Um, but they're responsible for managing that money. They're responsible. You know, when you go up until the early 1990s, you could barely see student loans in the data. You know, now student loans, obviously a big thing. So we put so much on the individual uh, over the past 30 to 40 years that used to be more in institutions. So personal finance and the stakes have gotten a lot higher. Mm. Well, you've been you've been published and you've done, been a columnist for um, for business, Bloomberg Business Week, The New York Times. Kiplinger's and other publications. I mean, these are some serious publications that you've you've been a columnist for. Well, I love what I do. And yeah, that, uh, it's extraordinary. Um, I want to acknowledge you on that. It's uh, the, what you are, you know, it's not an easy gig to get into any of those. I'm sure that there's a lot of uh, columnists and publicists, or not publicists, but um, uh, journalists uh, clamoring at those opportunities. Um, what is the economy today um, kind of forecasting? It's been a, I know one that's been unprecedented. We've had an up economy for um, in the United States, at least. I have uh, a, a lot of abroad listeners as well, but in the United States, we've had an up economy uh, for the past nine, maybe ten years or so. Um, you know, what what do you forecast it doing? Is it going to continue this way? Is is it uh, you know because I know a lot of people are very concerned. 
Um, you know, self-employed people, entrepreneurs that the bottom's going to fall out. You know, the housing market was at an all-time high and interest rates were low and people are now concerned that something's going to happen similar to what happened in 2008. Um, it may not fall that hard and low, but there's going to be, quote unquote, the correction. People are just waiting for that or the bubble, the burst is what they say. What's your, what's your thought and theories on this? So the problem with any forecast right now is you're making a bet on what happens to the coronavirus. Mm. And so the coronavirus is the wild card that's out there uh, with any forecast. So with that is the big caveat. Mm -hmm. I think we're going through a fundamental rethinking and reimagining, redesigning of the economy. And when you're ever going through a major period of transition, it could go in all different kinds of directions. I mean, if you think about it, since April, more than 15 million people have voluntarily quit their jobs. It's called the big quit or the great resignation. And this is a real shift from the previous 20 years. I mean, this is a record number of people are quitting their jobs. And if you think about the previous 20 years, you know, it was a period of time where labor was less and less powerful, management more and more powerful. And after the Great Recession that you mentioned of 2008, 2009, you know, companies had a line of workers out the door. And so they could be as choosy as they wanted to be. And years ago, I was talking to uh, Warren Bennis. He was one of the great um, uh, scholars of leadership and uh, at uh, University of Southern California. Wonderful man. He wrote some tr incredible books. And, you know, he was saying uh, at USC, he said, you know, when we want to hire an HVAC technician, we used to hire HVAC technicians. He said, now we got a line of people at the door. We can be choosy. So we want an HVAC technician that, um, you know, can play classical music, but not just play classical music. We want him to compose a classical music score. And then we want him to build the piano out of sustainable materials and play his score. And then maybe we'll hire him. And then he said, but then as the labor market gets tighter and as it gets harder to hire people, what happens is, okay, you don't have to use sustainable materials. Don't have to build a piano. Okay. You don't have to actually write um, a score classical music uh, composition. Okay. Are you an HVAC technician? <laughs> and so what we're going through right now, I think, is a lot of managements are having to make a big shift to being more inclusive, to being actually, we just can't put all these qualifications on and exclude all these people because guess what? People aren't knocking at our door. People are quitting because they've had to, you know, if you think about this period of social isolation uh, that so many people have gone through with COVID, rethinking, is this the good life? Is this what I really want to be doing? Maybe that was a good job pre-COVID, but now I want to be doing something different. So a lot of people are quitting. Retirement, we have an aging population. If you go from the period uh, 2010 to 2019, you would have, you know, you would have expected in 2020 that uh, about one and a half million people would have retired. 3.6 million people retired. Are they going to come back? As the economy gets better, are they permanent retired? So there's all these um, different shifts that are going on. On the optimistic side, and I think that this is something that we don't really understand, we have record number of people starting their own business. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's across the board, typically it's 45 years and older, that's the majority of them. Uh, 
We have, it may be that it's the best option available to them. And maybe that you're just, they've lost their job. This is the best uh, option there. But nonetheless, to be thinking that so many people are starting their own business and the resilience that goes along with that, it has to be good for the economy. Hmm. It just has to be. Um, so I'm relatively optimistic for the economy, largely because of this explosion in entrepreneurship and self-employment, largely because I think this big quit is like one of the best things that's ever happened because people don't quit unless they think that there's a better opportunity out there. But mm -hmm. that doesn't say that so many people haven't suffered. And we're not even talking about the people who died, but so many people have not suffered during this time. And those are typically minorities. Those are Blacks. Those are people without a college education, high school only or less. Um, you know, people who have had low-wage jobs, unstable incomes for a long period of time. This has been a really hard period for them. And so what I'm hoping is that we end up with an economy that really starts valuing and putting a greater value on much more of our labor force than has been the case for really the past 30 to 40 years. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's great news. And I can I learned that statistic. I didn't know that there's been a, a, the largest number of um, kind of self-employment uh, over happening over the past year or two. That's awesome. I love to hear that as an entrepreneur. You know, there's so many things that it is, like you said, there's a, you have to be tenacious um, intensity about being in business for yourself. There's nobody to like force you to do anything and you got to do yeah. it on your own. There's a lot of self-motivation and there's a lot of ups and downs. You got to wear a lot of different hats from the marketing to the customer service, to the web development and all of it. You know, it's a, it's a full-time job 24 seven. So uh, that's very, very cool. That's happening. Um, what is it that you're up to uh, personally, as far as like you, like anything big that you're doing that you're proud of, a magic moment, something that you'd love to share that could inspire, motivate. Well, can I share two us? things? You can share three if you'd like. Okay. Well, one is uh, in the last couple of years, I've really been doing a lot more about the economics of an aging population mm. and uh, really fighting against the stereotypes that as you get older, you're less productive, you have less to offer. And in fact, if you look at the 55 to 64 year old age group, that's where a lot of our entrepreneurship has been coming over the past uh, 15 years, that people on average are healthier, they're better educated, they have a lot to offer to employers, to society, and to fight against age discrimination, to push against age discrimination, and um, that to realize that in so many fields, whether it's arts or it's the skilled trades or uh, it's the professions, that actually so many people have become more creative and more innovative and more productive as the years pass because they build on their experience. And there's that wonderful talk that Steve Jobs, the late Steve Jobs, gave at Stanford University, the commencement address. And one of the things we talked about, the importance of connecting the dots, but you only can connect the dots when you look back. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things why people can become more and more creative with age is that they look back and they connect the dots and they can see how you can solve problems in different ways. And so that to me is a really exciting aspect. The other is that I have a podcast called Small Change Money Stories from the Neighborhood. And I and my co-host, Twyla Dang, uh, we talk to people that are living on low and unstable incomes. And there's this general prejudice that if you don't have much money, you're not smart with money. 
And the fact of the matter is, if you don't have much money, you know where every penny is going. Uh, and that often people without much money are smart, collaborative, creative, because the goals are the same, own a home, start a business, you know, educate your children. And so we go into neighborhoods and we talk to people who have figured it out. These are not superhuman superhuman people that have gone from nothing to being billionaires. They're just people in the community who have figured out how to start a business, how to own a home. And the key there is personal finance starts with community. It starts with your family, your extended family, your ethnic group, uh, your neighborhood, people pooling resources, pooling their knowledge, pooling their skills to accomplish a goal together and reinforce each other. And so that's just really exciting. And again, to push against the stereotypes that look at so many people who don't have money and look at them for their deficits and not seeing their assets, not seeing what they bring both to our community and to our society and to our economy. Mm, awesome. That's great. And you're a man of service, exactly kind of similar to what I do. You're just dealing with the money and finance part of it and dealing with the health and fitness and emotional part of that side. Um, you know, and speaking of emotional, it, there's emotion wrapped around these both, whether it's health and fitness or money, there's yeah. so much emotion wrapped around that. Um, in closing, could you kind of enlighten us and or inspire us with, you know, the management of your emotions around money? What would be some, you know, great tools or ways in which we could, you know, stop that stress, reduce that stress when that bill comes, that angst that you feel when you can't make that payment or, you know, the the, the taxes are due and you can't make the payments, like you feel that stress, that buildup in your heart or wherever yeah. it is. You know, you know, this can be debilitating a lot for some people. It can be. And I don't want to minimize the stress and I don't want to minimize how hard it is. I think there's a couple of things. One, you're not alone. You're mm -hmm. absolutely not alone. And there are a lot of resources out there. I mean, a big part of it is recognizing that, okay, I need help. So there are plenty of resources within the community that you can tap into that can help you out to tide you over a tough time. You also really do want to, as I mentioned toward the top, it's you're not alone in this. And so with your, you know, your, your, your community of people that you know, that you trust, you know, bring them into your lives. You know, they, you know, they don't have to know everything. They don't want to know everything. You don't want to know everything about them. But, you know, these are people you trust. These are people you care about. And be, create your own mutual aid society. You are not alone. There is nobody. Again, there is nobody that has not made money mistakes. And, you know, it drives me crazy when people say, you know, you'll read these articles and people say, here's the 10 things you need to do in order to manage your money smart. And you go through that list of things. You go, yeah, Superman or Superwoman could do this. But the reality is there's only one or two things out of that list that you could actually do. The rest of them don't fit with your personality, don't fit with your lifestyle, don't fit with your There's all kinds of reasons uh, why. So not minimizing your stress. Very important. Acknowledging your stress, acknowledging the difficulties. There are resources in your community to tap if you're really up against the wall, and you should tap into those resources. Create your own mutual uh, aid society and support each other, help each other through these difficult times. And then the last thing is to recognize, you know, one of the reasons why we get so stressed is time is the truly scarce commodity. Money's not the scarce commodity. Time is the scarce commodity. And so if time's a scarce com commodity, that's why habits become so important. That's why frugality becomes so important. 
And that's why purpose becomes so important and having a plan and having a vision, having a goal. Because in the end, what you're kind of doing is you're simplifying things overall. You're sort of saying, okay, here's my habit. Here's my vision. Uh, here's my purpose. And you know what? These, this is my community. And we can get through this together. I can't do it on my own. And being on your own would simply increase your stress. So if you embrace your community and you build off of that community, I think, you know, you're going to be able to get out of it. And remember, there are always resources. And if you don't know where those resources are, some of your friends will. Or, uh, you know, depending if, if you have a church or a temple, uh, you know, talk to your pastor, talk to your priest, talk to your rabbi. Or if there are, you know, people at work that you know that, you know, they do, they're deeply engaged in the community and they're doing good work and they're, they're maybe not part of your close circle, but they're good people, you know, approach them and saying, you know, I'm kind of thinking about, I got this credit card debt issue, you know, I'm not asking you, but you know, do you know any, any organization that I might be able to go to just to get some guidance? You don't have to give them any details, you know, in the odds that they'll, they'll send you to, there are some really good nonprofit organizations that can help you on that. So again, your pain is real, not minimizing it. But I don't want you to think that that's, that's permanent. And there are resources out there, and there are also good people out there. Awesome. Great. I, I think that was a great closing, and I couldn't agree more. People want to help other people in need. It's a natural instinct, and those that typically don't need the help want to help those that do need the help. And I think one of the biggest takeaways that there's in so many that you shared here that I'm hearing over and over again is that sense of community and sharing wherever you're at, you're not alone. Get out there. If you need help, uh, it's just like weight loss or your poor health. You can't always do it alone. You need support. You need a coach. You need somebody to give you that, that direction um, or that little push or just the accountability to check in and make sure you're okay. And you can do and reciprocate the same with somebody else, perhaps in a different way. So um, you know, Chris, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, this is the first podcast I've really had with money as a focus and almost 150 something episodes. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I've read a lot of books on money and managing money. And, you know, I actually want to go back and say, I don't have a bad relationship with money because it, it does begin with language as well. I have, let's just say a challenging relationship money. I, I don't always make it a habit to do the same things over and over again, as I stated, you know, I get to a certain point, I work really hard, I have those habits, and then I take my foot off the gas and I get a little lazy and a little complacent. And those habits sort of don't, I don't follow through on those habits as keenly as I was prior. But, um, you know, that's, uh, and, and I do believe that don't use bad language. So don't say you have a bad relationship with your health or your wellness or your fitness or your money. Just say you're challenged with it. And with every challenge, there is a solution. So you can uh, you can find the solution. As Chris pointed out, there's a lot out there for you. So thank you, Chris, for being here. Now, well, thank uh, you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, welcome back anytime. And uh, for everybody listening again, thank you for being here. I hope this was an inspiring and motivating and educational uh, topic and lecture. And uh, again, if you haven't, please review and rate the podcast. Until next time, stay healthy and well and be money smart. Thank you for spending your time with me and my guest today on the Steve Jordan Experience. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, there are a few things that you can do. First, sharing is caring. So show your family and friends how much you care about them by sharing this podcast to encourage them to live their best life. Two, 
Go to my website, stevejordan.com, to subscribe to my Get Fit community. Here, you will receive updates, news, and valuable information for ways for you to get more involved in the Steve Jordan experience. And finally, take a minute to please rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It helps me to continue to get outstanding guests to create an extraordinary listening experience for you. That's all, friends. Thanks for listening to the Steve Jordan Experience.